cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. Which church father said that? Sigmund Freud. <laughs> now I want to take the liberty and say that and change it to I can't think of any need in utero as strong as the need for a father's protection. We live in a day where in utero the child's life is at risk, not because of disease or war or famine, but perhaps because her eyes aren't blue. Abortion on demand is the cultural expectation. The murder of the weakest among us is common. And this is because fatherhood has decreased and feminism has flourished. Ephesians 3, 4, I'm sorry, 3, 14 through 15 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, or as Tim pointed out last night, Father in heaven and on earth derives its name. If every Father in heaven and on earth derives its name from God the Father, that means that fatherhood is a communicable attribute. Do you know what I mean when I say that? That that's an attribute within God and translated and exists within man. Fatherhood is a communicable attribute, just like other communicable attributes. Uh, thinking, seeing, our senses. Man is made in God's image. If then man is made in the image of God, he is a father, even if he doesn't have biological children. It's part of the image so the fatherhood that we receive from God is innate. It is part of us. It's not something that we switch on or switch off. It's not something that's confined within the walls of the church or confined only within our families. It's not something that's exercised sometimes and suspended others. We are fathers as men made in God's image around the clock. It's part of who we are. And so God, we know, is light. God's fatherhood is light. As the image bearers of God, we shine the light of fatherhood. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, now I'm going to make a strange statement. This is kind of novel. But I, what I want to say is that fatherhood is a light that we shine because, again, it's innate. Motherhood also shines a type of light. You know, we, 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 of course, are called the light by Christ, but there are some things that are particular to fathers and some things that are particular to mothers. Many of you grew up in a neighborhood where you had a loving woman that the whole neighborhood considered a mother, right? What kind of qualities did she have? Or if you're going to think of a woman that's not your biological mother, but you think of her as loving and motherly, what comes to mind? Tenderness, right. I heard another one. Is it warm? Warmth. She's hospitable. She always invites you in. That's right. Hospitable. That's the last thing. What else? She cares and talks to you. She cares and talks to you. She listens. Now, when you said hospitable, you were saying she provides treats, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. What else? What are the other inviting things of a, a woman considered a mother to the children of a neighborhood? I mean, these, are, these would be godly characteristics. She disciplines lovingly. Yeah. Keep you coming back. Yeah, yeah. She does, 
And though she's not non she's non-threatening, right? But she keeps it coming back, right? What is the male analog to that like? Do we have a guy in our neighborhood that we consider to be a father to all the kids? What is, but if we did, what would he be like? What characteristics would he have? He'd be a hard worker and he'd teach the kids, especially the young boys, how to do things like split wood. Right, right. Why don't we have neighborhood fathers? <laughs> because they're most often predators. Yeah. Yeah, and we wouldn't trust a guy who exhibited those things. We wouldn't believe that it, it was him, it was true, or those were, uh, or he was sincere. But it shouldn't be that way. Now, if we had a godly man who actually was a father to children, he would say things like what? Pull up your pants, put your hat straight. You know, he'd ask pointed questions. Do you have a job? Come here and help me mow the lawn. Let me show you some things. The father would be hands-on. The mother would be accepting and loving and gentle and kind. And the father would probably demand something. You know, he would be loving too. We can't say that men aren't compassionate. But, but a godly woman and a godly man, <laughs> duh, there's a difference between the sexes, are different. I remember... Um, at my bachelor party, I was actually at the Bailey's house, and I was held down by, I don't know, 10 guys. It took, you look at me, it took 10 guys to hold me down. <laughs> and uh, they took my shirt off, and they shaved a heart in my chest. <laughs> Why am I telling you that? <laughs> well, Mrs. Bailey, you know, Tim and David's mother, was inside, and I heard later on, she said, David, I did not like that. I did not like that. And that's the response of a godly woman. <laughs> she just doesn't like it, but she's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm exaggerating in a sense, but if, 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 say, someone else were there, an elderly man watching that, he could have either joined in and, and thought it would, was fun to do, or maybe he would have chased everyone off for me. I would have preferred the, the latter, but nonetheless, my honeymoon, I had a, a heart shaved in my chest. <laughs> so there is a difference between the sexes. And my point is only to say that the need of the hour is to call men into defending the lives of the unborn in the clinics of our lands. We need fathers to stand up. We need fathers to do what they need to do. The women are out there. That's why... I, you know, we, we don't need to call the women. These three young women right here are faithful. Well, <laughs> the world is conspiring against this one and preventing her from coming to the clinic that our church protests at. But these women are faithful and do the work. We need the men to come and do the work. We need the men to come there and lead. If a, if a protest outside of our church is done in our city, it's done by the Catholic Church and it's done, it's led by women. Okay. You guys know the facts about abortion. Total number of abortions since 1973, it's estimated at 50 million. 50 million souls have perished because of choice. According to the Guttmacher Institute, there were 1.21 million abortions performed in the United States in 2008. And that's the most recent year for which that data is available. That means you probably see it on the bumper stickers, 3,222 abortions per day. 3,222 abortions per day. There are 659 clinics in the country. How do we look at the unborn? What, what classification should we give to the child who's slated to die, whose mother is walking him into the slaughterhouse? What's the best thing we can think of? What's the, 
Now, maybe I'm being too general. Garbage. Guarded? Garbage, is that what I think? Garbage, well, I'm thinking of orphan. Oh, okay. An orphan. An orphan is a child whose parents are both dead or who has been abandoned by his or her parents, especially a child not adopted by another family. There is no one weaker nor more abandoned than the unborn. In in their own mother's womb, they are abandoned. So they are the orphan of orphans. What is our responsibility? What is the Christian responsibility? We can talk in general because I said that men will have one, women will have another, and then there's some common things. What is our responsibility to the orphan? What does scripture say? Look after orphan and widow in their distress. That's right. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Thank you, Abby. James 1.27. Distress. Does being murdered qualify as distress? Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. God the Father gives justice to the orphan. And so if we do what I say that we're commanded to do, to be fathers to orphans, what does that mean we do practically? We take the light of God's fatherhood and put darkness to task. What does being a father to the unborn look like? It looks like you engaging at the spiritual battle at the local abortion clinic. Now, I asked you, how many of you, you said uh, there was a few of you who are part of churches that don't have ministries doing this. I encourage you. I've got a few things I'd like to say. That uh, Number one, be there. Take fatherhood to the clinic. The hardest step in this abortion ministry that we've started at our church at Christ the Word was just starting it, was just getting there. Not everything was worked out, but it, once we determined to do it, that means we were making a commitment and we said that we would be there and we've been there. Put your mind to it, see yourself through it, take the first step, that's the hardest, but get yourself started and you know, that's how things get done. You know, that's a father's wisdom. How do things get done? You just start it. Be there and call for repentance. Exercise fatherhood, which is love by condemning the sin of murder. I know it's almost impossible to conceive of the fact that you can show fatherly love by condemning actions. This isn't affirmation. This isn't what the neighborhood mother does for everybody. But the father needs to condemn the sin of murder and protect the orphan. This is how he loves the unborn. Number three, go there and bring signs. And I want to spend some time talking about this. Graphic signs. What does holding up a picture of a dismembered person, a baby, have to do with fatherhood? I don't want to try to tackle that one. <laughs> what does holding up a picture of a dismembered baby have to do with fatherhood? What's the reality of what you're about to do in the what the person's about to do in their head, it puts that picture in their mind of what actually is happening. Right. Right. That's 
say, this, this is going to be my kid. To see those limbs there, it makes it that much more real. Even if you're just holding that sign, even the person holding that sign, it's real for you. It makes it much more personal for you as well. It does. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. And listen, for everything that becomes visible is light. So this sign of the dismembered child is now light. And I'm asking you as fathers, and for those of you who are part of churches, to inspire fathers to go to the abortion clinic and hold up the light, the light of truth, the light that exposes the darkness. The grotesque horror show is light, believe it or not. Well, I'll talk about the objections, but, you know, be prepared for the hatred of everyone, family and friends, when going to the abortion clinic. Um, my sister, <laughs> this is funny, my sister told my aunt that we were participating in abortion protests, and she asked my sister, well, are you guys violent? <laughs> you know, are we violent? I mean, is there any other irony? <laughs> Could anything be more ironic? Are we violent? No. <laughs> but abortion is violent. And that's why that picture is necessary, because people have to get the idea that abortion is murder. You know, even when I was starting this and working with you and you and, and Rhonda and talking about these things, the, the reality of abortion did not hit me until I watched some videos online, which, you know, I don't ever need to watch again. The idea is in and seeing the signs. That, to me, communicated the reality of abortion, and nothing else could have. So when we have kids riding down the street and telling us you're sick, or we get you know, the middle finger and saying you know, we're poisoning the world by showing them the truth, how will you know unless you see? How will anyone know unless they see the graphic reality of, of abortion? Now, are you guys familiar with R2K? Okay, what is it? Basically, uh, there's some men in churches that believe that the church is separate from the government and that religion should be private and the government should have its own, own thing and that you should really just be light as being the church and not interfere with all the government regulations and try to, try to change things necessarily, but they wouldn't say that you wouldn't try to change things. They would, they would be much more passive-aggressive than that. They would, they would avoid, they would still want to, they'd still want to proclaim God's truth and say they're doing that, but they wouldn't functionally ever do that. Right. What do they use as their justification? Scripturally. What's the most common? Yeah, but even more common, that's good, but more common than that. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So this is one of the roadblocks that our brothers, Christians, throw up and say to us and say, we can't do this. We can't speak to this issue. We can't do anything. Why would you bring a sign down to a clinic of a mutilated baby? This is a secular issue. This is a worldly thing. We're spiritual. And that was a great definition of R2K. The, the sentiment there is God secretly governs the nations just as he does the church, although he governs the former through natural law and common grace and the latter through his word written and preached. So the implication of the belief, don't be a father.
Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He does not say not over this world. So he speaks of origin and nature. Remember that the next time you, you guys have to hear that often when you do anything. But especially here, my kingdom is not of this world. So why do we need fathers? Uh, why do we need fathers at the abortion clinic? You guys remember when we were, okay, there's two abortion clinics in Toledo, one on 22nd Street and one on Sylvania Avenue. We were going to go to 22nd Street. We told them what we were going to do. In fact, I think what happened was I preached one of David's sermons in January, and a guy who happened to go to the, the abortion clinic on 22nd Street was there, and I said what we were going to do was bring down signs. We are going to bring down graphic images so that people will understand what abortion is and will expose that darkness and make those signs light. And it sent an uproar. There's already a ministry there with some Catholic women who would pray. And we received many phone calls and many emails. I want to read you this email. And he sent this to all the officers of our church. Dear leaders of Christ the Word Church, I have been ministering at the Center for Choice off and on for many years along with friends in Christ. Our outreach is to moms and dads in crisis who are in the valley of decision. Yeah, I mean, decisions made at that point. We also desire to have the presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting at the clinic. We desire to be Christ to them and to anyone who sees us praying. We have a fragile relationship with the clinic staff. Some of us are able to minister to clients. We also have an understanding and long relationship with the Toledo police. They don't take sides, but they recognize and approve our approach. Your church has informed us that you are bringing bold signs and making a direct approach or attempt at the clinic. Signs are not welcome, needed, or fruitful near the clinic. I, along with a few others, employed these in-your-face tactics in the past and have learned the hard way, what works and what doesn't. In fact, it was only since the first 40 days for life that the pro-life movement here began growing again. People avoided getting involved because of aggressive actions, but were willing to come and be prayerful and peaceful. Even I started coming back because of it. Your pastor reminds me that human lives are at stake. I, I agree with him on that. Where I disagree with him is in the tactics. The people who have been there for the past four to seven years are the sponsors of the 40 Days for Life here in Toledo. 40 Days National Director David Barrett agrees with our present tactics at the Center for Choice. Former Planned Parenthood leader Abby Johnson spoke to hundreds recently in Toledo. Abby came to Christ over time seeing the prayerful and compassionate presence of caring Christian people outside her office. See Abby's book. It's called Unplanned. Abby tells us that the sign should not be employed anywhere near a clinic. I like your church and your desire to stop abortion. My request is this. If you want to protest, expose abortion, go to a busy intersection like Monroe at Secor with signs. This is the John the Baptist approach. Telling people you are a sinner. This is sin. You are apparently intent on doing things your own way. Well, there's good news on that. There is another abortion clinic on Sylvania Avenue, the same street your good church is on. Start your own outreach there. Don't strong arm our work on 22nd Street. All ministry at the clinic will suffer if you continue with your plans. You are preparing to repeat the mistakes some of us have made in the past. You can do that or come alongside us this is my personal plea. Now I'm going to read another email in a little bit from the woman who leads this that will make this one make even more sense or probably not make more sense, but make you scratch your head even harder. Now, do, do you guys know Abby Johnson? Have you heard of her name? 
How did she come, you have, how did she come to the pro-life view, the biblical view of life? Viewing an abortion. Yeah. She was called to assist. Yeah. Yeah. She actually saw an ultrasound abortion. So she saw a living person, a person made in the image of God, dismembered. And it was her seeing that that converted her. Now she's advocating that you not bring signs there. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Now, a lot of the things we're describing, bringing signs, uh, having a presence, those are things that women can do. You know, we, our, our, our abortion outreach is set up where we have women counsel. You know, that's something a man isn't going to do very well. We have Abby or Elizabeth, and maybe someday we'll have Audrey. <laughs> They're directly speaking. And when you ladies speak to the women, you're not doing anything other than, can I speak with you, right? But, and that's great. We can't do that. I can't do that. I'm the guy yelling at the doctor, repent, Dr. Michaels, repent, stop killing children. That's my job. We need fathers to anchor down the place, to keep, keep the atmosphere, <laughs> to, to set the table so that the ladies can do the delicate work of talking to other ladies. But we need strong fathers that are willing to do the work. Fathers will be gritty. Not saying that the women won't, but I'm more readily there. I, I get there that way. <laughs> you know, some of the practical things we've done, uh, I, I looked over a list of, of the things that we set out to do, the things we set out to, an implement, to implement. Very practical things. We have our groups uh, we have pathways. We, what we call pathways go to the abortion clinic every week. Um, some of you have small groups. So our, we have about 12 or so. And so once every three months, one of those groups, along with some counselors, is at the abortion clinic. So it's not like everyone's there all the time. How do you guys do it here? Is it just a dedicated group of people who are constantly there? Okay. So our groups rotate. So we just have to have someone call and remind groups and schedule, hey, it's your week to be at the abortion protest. So we do it on a rotational basis. I think that helps. It exposes people. It calls people who wouldn't ordinarily want to be there to be there. You know, some people will want to be there. Some people, you know, once every three months is all they can take. I've never met anyone who regretted being there, though especially after I tell you what we've been able to do in 72 weeks of protests. You know, collecting information about adoption. One of the things we've done is to make signs that say, we will adopt your children. And it's not just make the sign. It's really to have the infrastructure in place to say that we will have families set up and ready to adopt children. Because that's the one thing that you can say, we will adopt your child. And they'll respond with, oh, yeah, right, right, right. No, really. No, I think it's the other way around. I think we say, don't kill your child. Well, do you want to raise them? That's what they'll say. And we'll say, yeah. But they don't really want to let their child live. Even if they were going to give the child up knowing that, they wouldn't let the child live. Although that's not always the case. You know, we needed someone in our church to educate families. Families who are interested in adoption. We needed to have a first contact. When a woman decided not to kill her baby, who were we going to call first? You know, we had things in place. We made plans. And I'm just throwing details at you. You know, who's our legal contact? You know, if we do end up in trouble or we do have an issue where we need representation, who are we going to call? Who's going to develop the literature? Who's going to organize things? Who's going to develop the policy handbook? Which women are going to serve as counselors who will educate and keep this ministry in front of the congregation? 
What if a mom decides not to kill and does not want to give up the baby? Where will she stay if she needs help? Do we have volunteer homes in place? You know, these, these are just some of the brass tacks kind of things. You know, you, you want to have a ministry like this. You've got to have this. Now, a lot of these things as I'm reading them, we need to get some things tweaked. <laughs> but we have to have a place for people. We have to do whatever we can to save life. If it means you move in my house, if it means we adopt your child, Scripture commands that we protect the weak, give justice to the weak, be the voice of the weak, lead the weak, provide for the weak and the helpless. It's in the middle of a spiritual battle that this happens. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, but the glory of Christ, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so when we're at the clinic, we're dealing with people who are blind to Christ. We're, they're completely in the dark. They hate God. And so if you have never been to the abortion clinic, I don't know that you will ever experience a more intense spiritual battle. Every time I go there, every time I'm protesting, I know that life and death is in the balance. I know that I have in front of me the gates of hell. And I bring through God the power of the Holy Spirit to knock them back. I go believing that we're going to knock them down. There's darkness there. We need fathers to hold up the light. One time we were calling a woman to repent and her father screams back to us, my baby's not going to have a baby. turns on his car stereo, smokes about 10 cigarettes, and is basically tailgating at the abortion clinic parking lot. Darkness. We have a guy named Kerry Duchesne who was protesting one day, and uh, a black woman was walking in, and she did say to him, well, he said to her, we'll adopt your baby. She said, you're not going to take any black baby. He said, I have two of them at home. I have two African-American children at home. <laughs> didn't matter to her. It wasn't, it wasn't a race issue for her. She was dark in her heart. You know, you think about the spiritual battle is happening in, in Toledo, Ohio. You know, that the spiritual battle, the most intense spiritual battle is happening, happening in a place like Toledo. Do you know how insignificant Toledo is? How insignificant is Toledo? <laughs> Who said that? You're not from Toledo. <laughs> There's a song about Toledo. You know, I think one of the lyrics, uh, it's, I, I was in Toledo. I spent a day when, uh, how's it go? I spent a week there one day. I spent a week there one day. <laughs> Yeah. But we are fighting the forces of hell. And we are standing up for the unborn, the orphan of orphans. I want to read you one more email. And then I want to read you the things that we've done. This is from the woman who was at the 22nd uh, Street Abortion Clinic. And this was an email to report her success, the success of their ministry. There were very few clients' cars at the abortion center when I arrived this afternoon. In fact, there were more workers' cars than clients. I was even wondering whether or not there were any abortions scheduled. I settled into prayer, which was easier than usual since there was nobody to try to counsel. Then the abortionist arrived, and as he drove up, I saw that his wife and daughter were with him. 
A few weeks ago, he was more agitated and nasty towards me than usual, so I wasn't relishing seeing him. Recently, he had begun entering through a side door, so I don't see him as much anymore. After he got out and went inside, his wife began driving out of the parking lot and his daughter waved to me as both of them have been doing over the past year. The missus drove up next to me and rolled down the window. How are you doing? She asked me. Good. How about you? I replied. What she said next blew me away. I'm going to paraphrase because some words might not be exact, but rest assured, I'm not exaggerating. Good. I just wanted to tell you that I, I so appreciate what you do and how you are always so nice and respectful. You could have knocked me over. I thanked her for saying that. And then we talked for 45 minutes. A prayer volunteer in the front watched this and was incredulous. I have verification. Over the course of that conversation, she shared with me how much of a difference we were making compared to a group in Cleveland who yells at him and pretends to shoot him. <laughs> she said he can't understand that we actually do pray for him. I'm sorry, he can't understand that we actually do pray for him. He thinks we pray that he is dead. I told her that we are praying for his conversion, and she said, Oh, I know. I've told him that. He just can't understand how you can be so against what he does and yet so nice to him. Both she and his daughter, a teen, encouraged us to continue praying for him. They talked about how he was brought up with no religion in an atheist home, and it seems he doesn't even have the ability to grasp religion. I told them that I'd pray that he'd be given the ability, and his daughter said, please do. We talked about many things for a while. I know that obviously we don't share the same exact beliefs about abortion. I, I saw that we, the missus and I, share our love for our daughters. When I told her that my youngest just left for college, she said, oh, you poor thing, are you experiencing empty nest? I'm dreading when she goes off. Anyway, I'll stop there. Look, I, I, I respect this woman. I respect her kindness. I respect her gentleness. But this is not success. Making nice with the abortionist wife is not success. When I go to the abortion clinic, the last thing I want is for anyone who works there to like me. I mean, if I can get that, that's fine. But I don't go with that aim. I call people to repentance. I'm a father. I'm trying to save lives. I'm not trying to have casual and cute conversation. I'm trying to expose the darkness of this murder. Again, I'm not against prayer or being peaceful or being kind to my enemies. But could you imagine John the Baptist waving at Herodias as he's also simultaneously calling Herod that it's a, uh, telling him that it's illegal that he have her you know people ask about civil disobedience but you know John the Baptist didn't do anything illegal he was just annoying <laughs> but he was truthful like I said, I, I do think this woman is a dear woman. Um, I, I don't agree with her approach. They don't agree with our approach. Um, she got angry because our group had initially participated in a 40 days for life, and I read Psalm 94 out loud, and that was confrontational. We need men at the clinic. We need men at the clinic. We need fathers at the clinic. It's okay to be confrontational. It's not just okay, it's your duty to protect the orphan of orphans. You know, our goals at the clinic are to save lives, call the workers of the clinic to repent, call the women and their fam families to repent, call women to recognize the gift that the Lord has given them, call the city of Toledo to repent. We're calling, I mean, all these things, our goals are all about, I mean, saving life and then call, repent, 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 repent. And here's what happened. Now, I said, we, we started in, what, February of 2011. Okay. 
We've had a lady who was backing out of the abortion clinic. She rolled down their window and told us that she was not going to go through with it. You know, what if no one were condemning abortion that day? Would she, would she have felt as strengthened to do that? Would she have felt as bold to make that decision? I think she did that because we were there. Why did she stop and tell us that? In fact, I just got an email um, from Rhonda Hirely, a faithful woman who works very closely with Abby and Elizabeth and maybe Audrey one day. <laughs> um, let me read it. Praise from today. Just a quick note. There was a young woman there with her mother, and they chose to leave today from the abortuary. Her name is Teresa, and she is five weeks present. She let me pray for her and took my phone number and information. Praise the Lord. She was there. Being a mother. We've seen people circle the clinic over and over again, and sometimes they disappear. You know, oddly enough, though, a lot of these people have Indiana license plates. And they do. A neighbor woman named Selena stopped by the abortuary to tell us that she was considering abortion. However, due to our faithful witness, she knew she could never do that to her child because she sees the signs every week. So sometimes we ask the question, is anything happening? Is anything happening here? Here we are. All day, I mean, you could feel like Elijah. You know, you've battled the prophets of Baal all day long. You just get tired, you know. You just get worn out. What's, I mean, there's victory. We have great victories. You just get worn out. And you wonder, is anyone hearing this? Is anyone seeing this? And we get a report like that. We had a, a woman a grandmother who had a daughter who was a stripper, had two kids. She said it both times that this daughter was pregnant, she was at the abortion clinic with the kids wanting to abort them. The grandmother stopped her from killing her grandchildren. Two kids. And she was walking by one day. We happened to meet her. I was there. David was there. A few of us were there. And a woman named Anna Myers was there. And this grandmother who saved her grandchildren from abortion has a very serious uh, condition. Her health, is, her health is poor. And through that meeting, Anna Myers adopted her grandchildren. <laughs> Why? Why are we bringing children? I mean, we were just there. We were just there. I mean, if, you, if you're faithful and do what God asks you to do, things will happen. Just obey God. Things will happen. I mean, the greatest story is that of Marcy. Marcy and Jeff were uh, a farm couple from somewhere, what, South Liberty, West Liberty? Somewhere, I think West Liberty, Ohio. And uh, Marcy had been raped by her boyfriend. Now, the guy she was with was not that guy. But they came to the clinic and decided or determined ahead of time that they were going to kill the child. Now, Jeff wasn't as into it. He wasn't real happy about it. He actually grew up Catholic. Marcy did not want the baby. She didn't want any memory of her former boyfriend. And it was, it was kind of strange. It was, it was like they walked around. We called them to come over and talk to us. They, they ignored us at first, um, but they couldn't find the doorway. They couldn't find the entrance to the abortion clinic. And so you can imagine what it was like for the men of uh, Sodom, you know, looking around, you know, Lot's door. It was kind of like that. They were just trying to feel around. Where's the door at? I mean, it was a, a, it's like a mirrored kind of door, but they seemed blind to it. And so finally we said, come here, come here. And it was Mike and Sharon Art that talked to them. Uh, invited them out for ice cream. They accepted. <laughs> um, 
December 20, what? 21st, Kenzie Joe was born. And so what did we do? We were just there. We were there witnessing, telling the truth, being fathers, and God is faithful. God will bless the work. Now, what I didn't tell you was that initially that couple who had Kinsey Joe were going to give their baby to Anna Myers. They said, okay, we're not going to kill the baby. So they were repenting of abortion, and they were going to give the baby to Anna and Dave. And they decided to keep the baby, which we were happy with. You know, we want to adopt children. We're happy to adopt children, but we're, we were very pleased that she wanted to keep her child. On the day that Kinsey Joe was born, that's the day that the grandmother with the two kids came and Anna met them, and that led to the adoption of those two children. Like I said, the key thing is, is to be there. Fathers, take up the mantle. Be fathers. See your obligation. You don't have to be a biological father to understand that God has made you in his image and that you are to protect the weak. God will bless it. In, in Indiana, you guys have stories to share. Any questions or comments? I think you said earlier that as Christians we have an obligation to protect or save life. Um, and I agree with that. I'm, I'm kind of thinking practically about, like, does that mean... Uh, I, I would take that and I would just say, well, that means there's an obligation on each Christian family to be willing to adopt. Is that what you're saying? I mean, you know, I can't make a rule. I would say we should all be challenged with that. If we're not struggling with that thought, we should be. I mean, if you've got 12 natural kids, you know, and, and someone doesn't, I mean, it's inevitable in every church, there's a family that can't have children. That should be the family that adopts. Any other questions? Incidents at the <laughs> required the use of legal. No, we've had the cops called on us several times. Uh, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, the the most we've had, I think, is the cops warning us just to walk back and forth to keep walking. We've never had. Now they've had some things happen to the clinic. And so we're there, so I think we're probably the first suspect in, in anything that happens. It's an unmarked building. Um, you know, they've had their glass shattered. They've had paint, you know, shot. Yeah, that's right. They've had things happen, but we haven't done anything. We adopted our son when he was five days old, and he's coming up, going to graduate, I think, this December from college. And we're sending him on his way. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How, now, if you guys don't have a church that's actively involved in a protest ministry, have you guys been to an abortion clinic to protest at some point in your lives? If you have not, I call you to it. We ready? Okay. There's nothing more intense. I'm telling you, there's nothing more intense. Yes, ma'am. On the other, on the partnership of this, um, with all, I'm, t I'm totally blessed to see all these young men here. Yeah. I'm executive director of the pro-life pregnancy clinics in our community. We have two. And to have young men like this is such a blessing. And, and uh, even aside, I mean, I understand totally and I agree with everything you've said, 
but I would also say if there's a young man and God would put it on their heart or even an older man to go and sit in the pregnancy health clinic and be there when the young woman goes in for her pregnancy test or the young woman goes in for her sonogram before the father or the boyfriend, whoever is invited back, if there was a godly man, father, that was sitting in that room to minister to that man and just to say, how are you? What and just to strike up a conversation and see what that young man is going through and minister to him, that would be a tremendous, that is a real need, is for fathers to be involved with fathers who are facing abortion decisions. Yeah. Now we've talked about being at uh, Planned Parenthood. Is that where? Is that the kind of place you're talking about? You're talking. No, no, no. You're talking about the crisis center. Okay. No, no. Dallas walks Hatchie, Texas, south of Dallas. We've had a weird relationship with the crisis pregnancy center here because basically living in a university community, people are passive aggressive. They'll tell you they love what you're doing, huh. but then you hear through the grapevine how angry they are that you're protesting down there because you're stopping people from going to the pregnancy center. You know, things like that. You know, meanwhile, they've had many more people coming because of the protests, but they won't talk about that. It gets really weird in this town to do some of those things. And there's a lot of latent feminism in all of this. And, and a distrust of men, they'll say, well, they, these women have been abused by men, so they don't want to see a man at the crisis center. No. And it's been very difficult. It, it may be that yours has a different character. I know the one up here, it was, it's a heartbeat. Are you familiar with heartbeat? Okay, they called me and told me not to come down. They asked me. They said, please don't come down with your signs. They, they, because it's a, a kind of a complex. Here's the abortion uh, mortuary. And then on the side, there's heartbeat and some other ministries, or other, other services, rather. See, we don't even have an abortion uh, facility. You know, it's in all in Dallas. It's probably 40 50 miles away from us. Yeah. So we're before they get to that. You know, they're just coming to find out, am I pregnant? How far along am I? What am I going to do? But I'm just saying, I, I'm, I hate to see that, hear that thing about relationships, but I've been praying for a long time, for several years, that God would say, you know, you never sit in our room. Well. And I've also prayed that when I retire, that God raises up a godly young man like some of you here to lead the pregnancy crisis center in our community not a woman but a man may it be may it be thank you for that